0: While we're getting set and toward, turning in the book towards sanctification, let me share with you some thoughts. And I want to share with you a very interesting survey that goes, but just for fun, name a fruit you ate this morning or eat normally in the morning. Okay, bananas, apple, what? Blueberries? Blueberries? Grapefruit. grapefruit, here's what they said. Peach, melon, oranges, apples, strawberries, grapefruit. And number one was? Yeah. Here we go, number two. Name a type of car that when you're driving you don't want to hit that vehicle. Police car? Maserati? An emergency vehicle? A Mack truck? <laughs> a limousine? A Hummer? A hearse? A train? An ambulance? A fire truck? And Number one was the police. Uh, name a part of your body that you say it aches. Back, knees, yeah. neck, neck. Stomach. stomach. Okay, here you go ear ache, knee aches, muscle aches, toothache, backache, stomach ache, and headache. And I added this because you just said it. If you say my whole body, 500 extra points for you, okay? Because that's the way we feel. Name something you never leave home without Keys. What's the commercial? <laughs> wallet, wallet, spouse, cell phone. cell phone, hey you guys are good, the car, kids, money, keys, wallet, purse, and cell phone was number one, there you go. Here's an interesting survey, it just was done in 2019. They surveyed 3,000 people that visited churches that were non-denominational type churches. Uh, and this is what they surveyed is they made visits but they didn't go back, one visit, what turned those people off to the services? Top ten things. Okay. What did you say? Not friendly. They uh, didn't like the music. We we overrate music according to this thing. Yeah, it's not the style of music. Let me put it that way. What else? Doctrine was not it. No, had no vacation. No, this is like you're visiting for a church and something in the church that turned you off. The preaching. What's that? The preaching. the preaching. Okay, that's going to play into it as well. Color the, the color of the carpet? <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's what they said. Okay, top ten reasons why people... Go to a church and they're turned off. Number one, dirty, unkempt, fa- or number 10 was dirty and unkempt facilities. And in the comments, it said that one of the areas of the building that was the most impacting to turn people off was the bathrooms. The bathrooms. Uh, members tell visitors they are in their pew. We joke about that. We joke about that, but apparently it happens. Okay, amazing. Uh, boring church services, and here's where they commented on the music. It's not the style of music, as much as the the uh, the, the, the the idea that the music is boring, the temple, the lack of enthusiasm in the singing, or the you know the dragging of it. Uh, same thing with preaching. They said it wasn't necessarily that there wasn't material that was good. It was more about the presentation, okay uh, too much inside church language, and basically terminology, and they talked about in the announcements and everything else that the people felt like they had no clue what was being taking place. Then it was this: poor signage or explanation of what to expect in the service in particular. The one in the, car- the paragraph that went on, in particular, not knowing what's going to happen to their kids. Okay, that there wasn't an explanation. Uh, for that reason, do you ever notice what we typically do at the beginning of every service? What's that? Yeah, we tell the parents at the beginning of the service, we tell them that there's going to be a children's ministry and let them know. But the signage also went on to not knowing where certain things were when you walk in the building. It was just the physical signage, like bathrooms, bathrooms, nurseries, things of that, of that sort. Then there was, and these are going up in order, the bad website. I found this extremely interesting that the vast majority of people chose a church or uh, went to the website before they went to a church. That they now the modern day is website is critical. And if the website was poor and they still visited the service, they commented that the church lived up to its website. So in other words, they came with a negative, a negative impression. So it was very important. Not able to or given information about the church such as their number one complaint is there's welcome centers but nobody's at the welcome center okay, to answer questions. Unclean or unsafe children areas. That goes with what you said about kids ministries. But it was more about they're not comfortable with what they saw in the kids ministries. Number uh, two was unfriendly church members. Uh, The number one I was I was absolutely shocked by this. Number one reason. Not greeting no. No donuts. And no, donuts no. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 It had to do with what we used to do in services, but we've stopped it. No shaking, the shaking of hands. Number one was awkward meet and greet during the service, during the service time. The people were saying they don't mind people talking to them before or after, but when in the church service, let's take time, let's walk around and shake hands. What do you think they said? Why? They either nobody talked to them, or they were so inundated that it felt very artificial. And if you've noticed, right before COVID, there was several months to about a year before that. We stopped doing a lot of that, and it was purposeful. Is because, you know, even though you folk were, were friendly, it was like there's awkwardness when that's happening. We don't want to make the visitor feel awkward, that they're not, the, you know, what, what do they do? They're, you know, turn around and greet people, but you're the visitor, and if nobody talks to you, And so it's very interesting, something that we can be learning from, some things that even this morning I walked through our foyer and it it just dawned on me for the first time. We don't have signs for our nurseries in this main foyer. There's no indication in this main foyer where our nurseries are. Okay, the restrooms we have signs posted. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the signs that are posted purposely high so that we can point over your heads and say, see that sign, there's the bathroom. They're about this size. Now we can make bigger ones. Okay, but there's some things that we need to work on, and uh, and some of this very much so that we, you know, um, you know, some of the things like when you know the cleaning of the building, you know, it's just critical that we keep things looking sharp. And uh, and those types of things. So, thank you for your participation in helping us do some of these things. But let's learn from them. Uh, speaking of learning, let's get into our Bible study. Okay, I don't have a passage right off the bat to say turn to other than First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, because a lot of it I'm going to put up on the board. 1 Thessalonians, chapter four. Let's start there. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning. And uh, we're, we're going through this booklet that I held up a moment ago. And we've been working through it. And so far as we've gone through this booklet, it's all about discipleship. Our goal is to be able to train our folk to be able to do Bible studies. But in order to do Bible studies, we want to cover basic Bible doctrine. This little booklet that we're working in covered all those different topics so far. Um, it's, it seems overwhelming, but they did it in a very simplistic way. What we're talking about is a doctrine called sanctification and in 1st Thessalonians he mentions this this idea of sanctification we're in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 follow along as I begin with verse 1 furthermore then we beseech you brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God so you would abound more and more for we know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ for this is the will of God what's your next phrase even your sanctification. So we're talking about that idea, but we, we need to make sure we all remember. So we're doing our, our review in a very simple way. Sanctification means what? If you have just a little simple phrase, what is it? Okay, living holy Set apart is what they are. The theme of this book is that sanctification is somebody being set apart. The Hebrew word, the Greek word that's used, usually is that has that idea set apart. It's usually translated in the English holy or sanctify, sanctified. When it's written uh, and it's referring to you who are holy or set apart, how is it usually translated in the English? What is the title given to the people? You are holy saints. Okay, so when he addresses, he's saying to the saints. The word saints means to be set apart or to be holy, declared holy. And basically the idea has a negative and a positive concept. Yes? You are set apart from what? The world, sin, anything corrupt. And you are set apart to or for whatever God has for you. Okay? To live a righteous life. That's your basic concept of sanctification. So if somebody says, what's sanctification? Hopefully you were able to answer it real quickly. I'm set apart from the world, from sin, for the glory of God to live for him. As a result, they call me saint. There's two parts of sanctification when you're reading in the Bible, and it's used this way. You're called holy people, and at other times it says, become holy people. And so we did this little picture, and we wanted just to make sure that you understand, make sure the people understand. In uh, theological terms, there's positional sanctification and there is progressive or practical sanctification. What's the difference? Somebody want to tackle this? What's positional sanctification mean? What's it refer to? You're, yeah, you said salvation, somebody? Uh, No, this is applying to you, okay? Even more than that. Okay, it is the idea of being a believer, okay? It's the idea that you have had a relationship with Christ. When you're born again, you're put into the family of God. You are positionally, when God looks at you, how does he view you? Okay, you you have the righteousness of God. You are his child. That is how long of a relationship without looking at the picture? Okay, it's a forever relationship. Okay, that's one idea of sanctification. So then he calls, he says, you are holy people. You're a holy nation. In other words, you are born-again individuals. You're positionally, legally, long-term. This is what you are. Okay, it's the idea of a parent-child relationship. Now, taking the other picture, what is progressive or practical sanctification? It's growth, yeah. What? Okay, it's that idea of growing, it's your daily fellowship, it's living more and more. This is the command, be holy. So positionally you are holy, but practically it has to work out in your life every single day. And so that's the difference between the two. And so when somebody says, are you a holy people? Yes, and I'm still working on it. So uh, we get those ideas. Why is it hard to live the sanctified holy life? Okay, somebody said sin nature. Other reasons? What's that? Okay, the world, society as a whole. We've got a sin nature. Okay, we have society. Give me another S. Satan. Satan. Okay, so those are the main reasons why it's still difficult for us. We still have a sin nature and it's going to be with you until when? Until, Until you meet the Lord. Yeah, until you get to heaven. And as well, do godly people struggle? The Apostle Paul said, the things that I would not do, I do. The things that I don't want to do, did I say just the same thing? The things I yeah, okay. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I want to do, I don't do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from this body of death. And so even believers will struggle with it. We live in a world or a society that is filled with temptation and trials and we have a spiritual enemy and his goal is to do what? Any, uh, any verse comes to your mind about Satan? Okay, the, that idea of destruction. Destruction, be sober, be vigilant, your adversary the devil seeking, walking around whom he may devour. And again, Hollywood makes a kind of Halloweenish, you know, that this is just kind of, you know, something we can get away from. Satan's real. He's powerful, he's dangerous. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. So, you're not trying to scare the person, but you want that individual that you're talking to to fully you want your kids to understand that this this is a spiritual battle. This is something that they have to be conscious of. And uh, even little things you know, remember, remember about your temper it says be angry and sin not neither give place to the devil Okay, he uses the little things he uses the lying the anger and so as we train our kids even we want to make sure that they're understanding that this battle has a spiritual element to it why should we be concerned about and committed? Again, we're going back to the last two weeks. Why should we be concerned and committed about living a holy life? We just read one verse about it. Okay? Even before, just take it a step further than God said it. What does the passage we just read say? This is the blank of God for you, even your sanctification the will of God, okay? So you start there, it's the will of God. That, that is that idea, God said it, okay? And just saying, this is God's will for how many of us? Okay, got it. In doing so, another reason was we'll become more like Christ, because we are predestinated to become conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, very good. Failure to do so has tragic results. You will blank what you blank, Reap what you sow. Great. We owe it to God considering what he's done for us. He says, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies, okay, in all that you do. And then because we can, okay, because you can. That leads us to where we're at right now. We're in this lesson that continues on 168, and it's like, how do I live the sanctified life? What he's going to do now through this section is give some practical thoughts on how to live. Now, it's not going to be like, okay, you have to do this, 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 this. He's doing, he's doing principle thoughts. And he starts off with, you have to remember sanctification is a work of God. Here, let's pick up your notes. And if you're following in your books, a lot of this is right there. You and I cannot produce holiness on your own. Almost the entire book of Galatians teaches our salvation was begun by faith. And then he goes on and makes the comments. so it continues by faith. The, the writing, the passage that he quotes, This only would I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith. What's the answer to that question Paul asked the Galatians? Which one is it? By the law or by faith that they got the Holy Spirit? Okay, it's by faith. Then he goes on, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect, mature, by doing something in the flesh? Okay, And so the answer to that is, uh, no, that's not how it works. It has to be a work of God in my heart. And so he goes on in this book and he wants you to to make sure that that person you're doing the Bible study with, that they understand that within themselves, if they rely upon themselves, it's not going to work. Even though progressive sanctification involves you in this operation, he says, okay, in this text, for in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing the question that they're answering asking you to have the person write down is describe your inability to make yourself holy from this verse how would you summarize it why is it a struggle to be holy according to that verse okay because our sin nature is probably the real easy one and he is writing and he remember this is a godly apostolic guy who is writing this and he's including himself that e- that even godly people have that sin nature okay this verse how does this verse tell you it's a battle why is it a battle okay several of you are saying a variety of thoughts that are absolutely excellent okay he's talking about that idea that, he, that our sin nature in us okay is, is actually creating the conflicts it's going to be challenging and the sin nature in us will resist the Holy Spirit I don't know if you've ever had this maybe I'm the only one okay? But since I have it, I think it's, it's normal, like we all do about the things that we do. But uh, in my mind sometimes, it's like, okay, uh, tell the truth, but if I, if I just fudged it a little bit, no, tell the truth. If I just fudged it a little bit, I, da, 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 but no, you have to tell the truth. Do You ever have those little battles in your mind? Please tell me yes, so I don't think I'm the only one. Okay. <laughs> that's what he's talking about in this passage okay in this text he goes he says it makes it clear this is the passage that talks about um, that idea that if you're walking in the spirit the spirit will produce the fruits of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace he goes on and he says only God's spirit is able to produce because it's the fruit of the spirit okay it's the spirit being able to produce this in your life that's his point Okay, is that the Spirit makes this possible. Therefore, we must determine to yield or walk to the, in the Spirit, walk in company with the Spirit. It's that idea of filling with the Spirit or walking with the Spirit, same concepts. I am yielding to the Spirit, and then He can work in and through me and develop that sanctification. If we don't walk in the Spirit, if we're not filled with the Spirit, we're not going to experience His sanctifying work. That is, that is a profound thought. Okay? You want to make sure that you, you put this down in your book for their sake and your sake. For those of us who don't take time to just get in tune with the Spirit make sure that we're not grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit. Hey listen, if we don't do that on a regular basis, we're not going to have sanctification going on in our life. Okay? We must be doing this. This is our part. Yielding to the Spirit because He produces. Okay. He repeatedly says this. That it's God that produces the growth in your life. You have a part in it, but it's God that's producing it. Why? Okay, watch this. He makes it very clear. All these verses that are given in your book, he makes it very clear. It's God that's doing all this. God is doing this sanctification. God is the one working. I have a question for you. I don't think it's in your book. My question for you is this. Think it through. Okay. Why does God keep bringing this up? Why does he keep repeating this thought? It's, you know, very because it's important? Yes. Okay, so things that he, oftentimes we repeat things that are important? Yes. That's true. Any other thought? Okay, because, because we need this every single day. Yes, sir? Sanctification, by definition, is a process, something that is. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Sanctification is a process that has to keep on going. Any other thoughts? Okay. Did everybody hear that? To prevent self-reliance. I'm going to build on that. Okay, Jeremy. That's all of what you said is really good. Just for your sake. Okay. Again, this isn't in the book, but I wanted to bring this out to you to say, hey, it's repeated several times. Number one is because there's multiple different groups of people he's talking to through a period of time, and it's make, by speaking this multiple times to different multiple groups. He's making it obvious this is for everyone. It's not a cultural thing. It's not a time period thing. Do do you ever run into people who say, well, that was for old days? Or that was for that area? This concept of sanctification, the work of the Spirit that God works, is clearly portrayed in Scripture by repeating it multiple occasions that it's for every believer of all ages. There is, and I think, uh, Jeremy, is this what you just said? Okay, there is that innate bending towards resistance of the spirit and going towards sin. We have already talked about that. Okay, There's none that seeks after God. It's, it's, the bend is to rely upon ourselves. Um, have you ever walked out of here and forgotten what was preached within an hour? You have? So that means I need to be louder when I'm doing this. Okay. Yeah. How, many, how many people does that happen to? Oh, it happens to all of us, okay? I walk away in an hour and forget what I preached, okay? And if I spoke on something, it'll it'll happen, and it's done kindly, is all of a sudden I can preach on something, I'll get home, and my dear wife might look and say, what were you preaching on this morning? Okay, Holy Spirit wife, okay? Just to remind, she doesn't do that. But have you ever done that with family? Okay, you hear something and you forget about it because we get busy, through the day, we get busy. Here, take that. Was it a problem in the New Testament churches for believers to be told a list of do's and don'ts? Yes. And if you do this, 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 you will make yourself spiritual. Was that a, was that a problem? Yes. Every one of the New Testament epistles that he's writing that deals with legalism or the Judaizers, that's the issue, is people relying upon themselves and their religiosity, their traditionalism to make themselves holy. Do people ever keep a list of rules and become complacent and say, I'm holy because? Does that ever happen? It does. A lot. So God reminds us time and time again. And I think this goes, uh, Ron, were you the one that said, it's the battle every day? Okay, there's that idea. And for, to follow that up, we, have to, we deal with it every day. Does it get discouraging dealing with your flesh? Do you ever get tired of falling into stuff that you don't want to do? Anybody? Okay. Where you just say, I am so t- sick and tired of losing my temper. I am so sick of tired of, get, you know, all of a sudden saying things that I shouldn't say. And I just, I just thought about that. I'm not going to say anything snide or, or critical. I'm going to be very positive in my comments. And in two minutes, I make the snide remark. And then, what do you think? After a while, what do you feel? What do you, what, what goes through your mind? Giving up, giving up giving up and so even Paul said oh wretched man well that's his positive in chapter 8 is walking in the spirit is all about chapter 8 so tremendous encouragement is this idea that God is working in you so you look at the passage and you say okay being confident of this very thing he which hath begun a good work in you will perform what's the promise You're in your book you're helping a brand new believer to understand what is the promise keep it simple okay The promise is, very simply, God's not going to quit working in you. He's going to keep working in you, keeping on producing in you, in each of us, and I put another one, throughout our lifetime. Those are major thoughts, okay? He's going to keep on working in each of us throughout our entire lifetime. Amazing, amazing. It's true of all believers in all generations from the beginning unto the New Testament until, when's he going to stop? Okay, when he takes us to heaven and it's all done. In other words, how long is God wanting you, working in you so you grow? When I hit 65, I'm now under government care and God's done with me. No? No? No, you still have to grow. Yeah, (laughs) I'm in trouble, big time. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so how how many of us need to be concerned about continuing our growth and sanctification? All of us, until God takes you to heaven, you've got to be a part of this. You've got to let the Spirit of God. This is tremendous, tremendous thought here. When we get to heaven, the work will be complete in us in other words, God highly values you please relay that to the new Christian please relay that to him okay. this is me, now some of you didn't have this experience, I got saved when I was 16 and when I was 16, I could curse with the best of, best of folk and you know, did the typical teen thing in, a, in an unsaved community that was German background and beer was the big thing, so all those things were there I get saved And I know I got saved, but that didn't mean the cussing went away right away. And I remember doing cussing several times after that. And after a bit, it was like, "What's the use? It'll never change." My reaction to situations: I'm going to cuss. So what's the use? You got, you got, you know, does that would lead me to say, "God must have unsaved me. God must have must not love me." Does God still love us even though we struggle? That is so important. Um, I told you this story about the first car that I bought, $50 from an undertaker. It was a black Rambler. Beautiful car. Absolutely. The very first night I took it out when I had my license, I let it it out of gear. It rolled back down uh, a hill, and it hit the telephone post at the bottom of the hill. So it had this big dent, but it was still drivable. I still polished that car. Every week, I washed it, I cleaned it, dent and all, rusting out, it was still something highly valued because it was my car. And it was really important. God values you when you're rusting out and you got dents. You are still valued because you belong to Him. Please relay that. Please get it in your own mind. Here we go. There's a, prom- uh, there's, a, there's a prayer here. What's he praying for the believers? What's he asking God to do? So God great, great. It's all about that same thing we're talking about. The promise in this verse is that God will do this work of sanctifying you so that you'll be blameless eventually. To sanctify holy, mark your Bibles if you need to, sanctify holy is to be completely sanctified. That's you. He wants you to be completely sanctified. Take this a little bit further as you think this through. God will not stop working in your heart and life until you are wholly sanctified so God doesn't quit. He isn't satisfied. He's glad, but he isn't satisfied with one step you made. He wants you to keep on making steps. Sometimes, we get content. I've grown more than I did than where I was last year. I'm this far. Therefore now I can just relax. I finally got over my cussing. Therefore, I'm good. I don't have any other area of my life to work on. Is that the way it works? No, not at all. Then what happens? Another area to work on. Another area for God to sanctify. And so when God sanctifies, God uses things. Okay, you got the sculptor. The sculptor is taking a piece of rock. What does he need to make that rock into something beautiful? Okay. Somebody said tools work on removing things. Okay, what'd you say? Time, what'd you say? Patience. Let me take a step further. Have you ever watched them blow glass? Okay. So they're blowing the glass and they're spinning it, spinning it, spinning it, and then they're, you know, they're doing their thing and they're refining and stuff like that. Have you ever watched forged in fire? Okay. And so people are making items, okay? And they're making these, you know, they're not going to be polished off immediately because they're time framing this contest, but they're, they're going to develop these, whatever they're told in this program, to develop forging it in iron. All of those things require what? An idea, okay? Okay, a finished concept is a goal. What else? What you... What do you mean by experience? They just don't start from scratch and create a masterpiece. Okay, so somebody who's doing this masterpiece has skill. Okay, what else do they have? Time. What else do they have? Somebody already mentioned it. Uh, Patience. Okay, great patience. What else? The tools. They need the right tools. All of those things are critical. Okay, they're very important. Does God have the time to work with you? Does he have a skill to work with you? Does he have a plan, a goal? Is he he creative enough? Okay, so God can do that. Does God have the patience to work with you? Okay, does he have the heat? Does he bring heat into your life at times? Okay, what tools does God use? Here in the text he's asking us, okay, look up these passages and tell me what the tool is that's in the hand of the sculptor and he's using here i'll give i'll help you out here here's the passage sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth what is the tool god uses his word okay that's your answer here's one that he might sanctify and cleanse it he's talking about the church the bride of christ he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word what is the tool the word. The word is the, is the tool. Don't get confused here by the water. It's the word. Mark chapter 14. Watch ye pray, Jesus speaking to the disciples, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is ready, but the flesh is weak. What is the tool? Prayer. Prayer. Excellent. Okay. Here's another one. First 1 Peter 1, seven. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and glory of God. The trials, the trials, the, the challenging moments is a tool that God uses. What's this one? Iron sharpened iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Each other, okay? He, other believers, other believers. Those are some of the tools that God has and God uses. I want to add one that's not in your book. I want you to think about this for a second. Um, another really, 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 really powerful tool that's worth mentioning, is music. Okay, watch the text. Be not drunk with wine, where is excess or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit while speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. According to this text, part of that, part of that, it's a result as well as an impact of doing it, walking with the Spirit, is music in your life. Here in Colossians, when we went through a series we talked about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. Do we learn through music? Okay, did you teach your kids anything through music when they were little? ABCs? Bible Bible verses? Okay. Your days of the week you can sing a song? You can sing principles concept obedience is the very best way okay you can teach all kinds of things through music but my question for you is this how does godly music help you to become more like Christ or to stay close to Christ It stays in my head It stays in your head Okay, okay. It takes the place. It fills your mind with, with the music as opposed to something else. Okay. Um, I want to go back to this. Have you ever been trying to remember just a part of a song? You want just one little phrase. Yeah. And what do you have to do? Have to you have to sing the whole song. Okay. <laughs> so, and it's amazing how much we do know. Isn't it? Once you get going. Somebody else. Uh, somebody piped up over here. How does... Okay. Okay. It helps your mind. Anything else that music does for you? Have any of you, through music, you've been discouraged and the music helps you to be encouraged? Yes? Okay, okay. Um, Have any of you had music help you in just expressing your heart to God? Okay? Music is powerful. Tremendously powerful. Okay, but so what we need to make sure is that we have music that definitely has proper teaching yes yes okay make sure you got music that is you know it just and don't say this please don't do this it's in the hymnal therefore it's got every every bit of it is no problem do some hymns sometimes insert something goofy yeah you gotta be careful so how much of the music do you have to evaluate all of it. There's, there's, you know, there's music, and, we, and beautiful music. Beautiful music. Some of the, the new uh, songs that we're, that we're teaching, we're getting our hands on. Even the new song that we're teaching today. But, Pastor Art, do you have to evaluate every song carefully? Yeah. Why? Of stuff with bad What's the modern theology issue? It's all in what vein of theology—covenant, Reformed theology—which is the popular teachings right now in seminaries. The idea that we're already in the kingdom of God. Okay, Um, so you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Just because it's appealing and it it feels good doesn't always make it right. Make sure. Very first thing in, in in songs, check the teaching. Check the teaching. Remember what it said? Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing. Make sure you examine the doctrine of the music. It is really critical. Really critical. And the shame of it is, most people aren't even going there anymore. It's just, they're just, if it feels good, it's good. If it talks about God, it must be good. That's like when we first got saved. We were so dumb. We had no idea all the books of the Bible. If anybody came along and talked about Jesus, we assumed right away they're saved. We were so thrilled about being born again. They're saved. They said they read their Bible. Whoa, they're just like us. And we want to be just like them. For us, that was dangerous because we got into a friendship with sweet, sweet people, just over the top uh, charismatic. And all of a sudden it didn't dawn on us what they were trying to teach us is they were trying to teach us how to speak in tongues. I remember sitting in the back bedroom with this couple, and they said, now if you want to speak in tongues, do this. And they gave, they gave my sister and I a mantra. And they said, you've got to do it faster, 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 faster. And then you all, all... And our pastor was visiting with lunch with us. And we had this other couple. And our pastor, oh, he was so wise, so gracious. He just, you know graciously came back and said, can I pray with you guys? Yeah. He, you could hear what was going on for the He says, hey, can I come and pray with you? And then he sat us down afterwards and just said, hey, there's, these people are sweet, they're great, they're good, but doctrinally, let me show you something from the Bible. And it was, it was fabulous how he handled it. Um, but all that coming back to making sure we're right in doctrine. So, sanctification is a work of God. This, this is for us. This isn't for necessarily a Bible lesson because this will be over the heads of a lot of people, but you guys got this. Since sanctification is a work of God, how does that flesh out? Think with me. Don't become haughty or arrogant about victories you experience. Okay? <laughs> I don't cuss anymore. Aren't I good? Yeah. You can't do that. Who gets the glory? Okay. Don't get caught up with falling back into relying on those works or on legalism. We'll be talking a little bit more about that as we go along. Don't get discouraged by some of your defeats. Okay? Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Okay? Respond the right way when God is working in your life. What was First Peter's comment? What tool does he use? The trial of your... Okay, don't get discouraged. Okay? If God is bringing conviction, don't get beat up over it. Okay? Expose yourself to those tools that God will use to sanctify you. God will sanctify you, but you need to expose yourself to some of the tools, especially which one do we start off saying? What was the first tool? The John 17. The Word of God. Okay. What good is it for you to sit there and say, God, use your word, use your word, but you never, you don't read it, you don't memorize it, you don't listen to it when it's being explained, okay? It's a nice time to go surfing on the web during a sermon and you don't get any, you don't listen. You don't listen. That's not going to help the sanctifying work of God. Rejoice in the fact that you are precious to him. Very, very important. By the way, that Second that Timothy 2 is a hymn. It talks about that if we're not faithful, he is still faithful to us. He will never deny us. So it goes into thought. Okay, sanctification, therefore, requires your participation. It's a work of God, but you've got something to do. Here's the flip side of the coin. You've got something to do. Okay, let's go back to the thought. Spirit filling, we talked about this. The Spirit is the producer, but you still need to walk in the Spirit. Whereas the Spirit produces it, you've got to walk, you've got to expose yourself to the tools. So let's go back to the tools, okay? The tool of the Word of God. Do you have to do something for that Word of God to impact you? You've got to read it. Yeah, okay. So you play a role in this, exposing yourself to the Word of God. What about prayer? Prayer is a means of helping you to overcome temptation. Okay, you, you got to pray. You got to actually pray. It, it, it doesn't do you any good if you don't pray. Okay, what was the tool of trials? How do you have a role in trials being used in your life for sanctification? What do you have to do? Okay, it's the way you handle them. What did you say, Ron? You got to accept them. What do you mean by that? Okay. Okay. Yes, I'm so glad I had a car wreck. Woohoo! Okay. Is that what it means to rejoice? Okay, it's not necessarily to kick up your heels, but it's the idea of not becoming bitter, but saying, "Okay, okay, I'm not going to become angry. I'm going to look for, I'm going to look for how God can use this in my life." So the trials, how you respond, or let's add this whether or not you go through them or you run away from them. Yes? Make sense? Okay. What about your friends? Do you have a role in whether they can play a role in sanctification? Yes. This is the passage that says iron sharpens iron. What role do you play in God using your friends? Accountability. Uh, accountability. Anything else? Bob, did you say something? Okay. Okay. So friends are trying to work with me. Good luck. They're trying to challenge me in an area. What, what part do I play in this for it being effective? <laughs> First one to yell out the answer. Listen. <laughs> but is she right? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Deb, I loved it. Uh, okay. Whether you listen to your friend or not, or in our case... My spouse, yes, yes. The Holy Spirit through my wife. Um, So we play all those things play in it. Now, the next section where we're going to stop here, okay, well, let's do this one. This verse, read it. Yield your members, servants to righteousness. You're commanded to do something. It's so obvious you don't want to say it. Okay, it's the idea of yielding to holiness. Okay, what's that mean or look like? if you read the rest of the previous part of the verse, he talks about how you used to do this in the same way that you used to yield to this, now yield to the, the what's righteousness. You used to yield, I'm going to use my stupid illustration again, I used to yield to if anything went wrong, the first thing out of my mouth was to cuss. None of you have been there. Okay. But the reaction right away is, and it was just like, that's going to be, if I'm upset, if I got angry, instead of just not saying anything, the thing I felt like I had to say was some vulgarity, some cuss words. In the same way that I would yield that way, now yield to righteousness. That's all the passage is talking about. And He said it'll lead to sanctification. Now we get into a whole but another uh, verse that's work out your own salvation. Let's do that next week. Thanks for your participation, your input, your your counsel in this thing. Hopefully, it's helpful.